everyone, and welcome to the That's What She Said podcast. My name is Alexa Dat. I will be your host today. We've got producer Kyle with us, and also at our awesome Studio 54 recording studio in Midtown, we've got SNY's Kareth Burke with us. Hi, Kareth. Hello. It's so good to be here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming in. <laughs> You're welcome. So we have a little bit of an announcement from you about what you have done in your career. What's your announcement and where did this all start from in terms of your decision to essentially make this announcement? Oh, wow. Well, it begins with love, as any great story does. Um, When my contract is up at SNY, I'm going to move back to the West Coast to be closer to family and be with my love. Um, We met here, but he got his dream job in San Francisco. Uh So um, I'm going to choose him. He's somebody that I want to keep. Now, I do want to explain that nothing happened. Nothing's wrong. I'm not leaving the business. I'm just moving west and um, reshuffling some priorities. All positive vibes from SNY. Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. I yeah. feel really lucky. They've given me every opportunity to succeed. And now I feel like I could work anywhere in the country. So um, I'm going to do it out west. So how did you first come about making this decision? Because this is not an easy one. And most women in the business would say you're crazy, (laughs) uh, myself included sometimes, (laughs) although I understand the priority and how it fits in your life. But when did you say, I have to switch up my priorities because that's what's best for me right now? Yeah. um, Thinking back on my career, it's been a solid decade where I've gotten to do exactly what I want to do. Sports reporting is amazing. Again, not leaving it, just doing it elsewhere. Um, and I found somebody that I want to, I want to keep. So, um, I'm going to make that effort. Yeah. I'm going to have both. I'm going to be the woman (laughs) who has everything. I'm I'm really excited about this. That's the goal, right? Mm -hmm. I'm struggling with that goal. That's a tough one (laughs) because you want to be able to have both and you Mm -hmm. want to be able to have both at all times. Mm -hmm. And it's usually one or the other one is more up or down than, than the other at any given time. You know, they say the big three is what love job and home. Are the, well, are I the, put health in there too, but you don't get health, to decide that. That's right. Health, <laughs> right. That's something that kind of uh, sprung upon you. Yeah. So, and it, it, they say that it's at certain times, right, you have your rent and your rent is either up or down or your house, whatever you own or have uh, have in your your place that you're, of life that you're living. Mm-hmm. And then your love, right? You either have a man or you don't or a woman or you don't. Mm-hmm. And then your job. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, and they all balance out. Mm-hmm. And at some points... Two of them are high or one of them is higher than the others. And it all kind of is a balancing act for you over the past 10 years. What has been the hardest thing that's going to be for you to walk away from? Oh, man. Well, I, I'm not walking away. And I just at this, yeah, I just at this specific job. Yeah. Yes. Um, the ability to do everything. You know, like when I do UConn stuff, people, I think the people in Connecticut think I'm just a sideline reporter and because that's how they know me. It's their perspective of me. Yeah. Um, But I'm not just a sideline reporter. I get to anchor and I get to host and I get to report. You know, I kind of feel like when I'm on the anchor desk too much, I feel like a news reader. Mm -hmm. Like if I, if I'm going to talk about Carmelo Anthony, I want to make sure it hasn't been too long since I've stood next to him in a locker room, right? I want to know what Carmelo's like before I talk about this guy, like, willy-nilly. So it's nice to, you know, there are a lot of jobs where you only get to do one thing. Um, And I've never done that my whole career. I started as a one-man band, um, so I used to shoot. I edited, I produced, and, you know, all of this stuff. So I really like the start-to-finish concept of how a story comes together. Um, When I came to SNY, I gave up the shooting part um, physically it was getting tough, although I liked it, but, um, here I still get to anchor and, and host and do all these things. And it's been really nice. So I, I hope that versatility serves me in the future because I feel really good. Now that doesn't mean I'm not 
nervous, uh-huh. frankly. You yeah. know, when you don't, I don't have a job that I'm going to yet. Like I'm really taking a leap. Um, I'm leaping right into David's arms, but <laughs> like I need health insurance and I need a paycheck. And um, I, I, what I'm trying to remind myself is that whenever you take a risk on yourself, it pays off. Uh huh. So for now, I'm calm. Good. <laughs> Talk to me in three months, <laughs> and we'll see what's happening. But um, yeah, I, I know it's so hokey, but trying to put this relationship, which means the world to me, first. Well, yeah, and it's also how you feel about yourself and how you view your circumstances. That's what controls ultimately how you're going to feel about everything. Mm-hmm. It's 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 up to you to make those decisions about you know how you're going to judge yourself and how. Um, you view what you ultimately want to do going forward. Mm-hmm. And even though people, yes, along the way will judge you, it's ultimately right how we feel about ourselves because I struggle with that too. That's a a really common thing, I think, for women in this business because we're constantly judged by our peers. Mm-hmm. The main person that really we should really care about their judgment is ourselves. Yeah. And that's really what matters the most. Yeah, I've been happy in my career, very happy. I'm in the number one market. I solo anchor a show yeah. here. It'll be five years at SNY when I'm when it's time to go. I never saw myself here this long. Um, I'm from Washington State, right? New York was never on my radar, but I did it. And I was really nervous when I came here. But I, you know, I, I've just gotten tired of telling my mom, sorry, I can't come home for Christmas this year. Right. UConn has a game on the 22nd, and then the men play on the 27th, and I just can't go west. Like, those conversations get get pretty old. Yeah. Um, so now they won't be as frequent. So you mm-hmm. were in Washington State. Did you always want to be a sports anchor? How did this come about? You know, I always wanted to be a reporter. Okay. I wasn't sure what shape it would take. I, I, like, I was the editor of my high school paper, and I did a lot of radio, and I, um, I just... Uh, professor encouraged me to make a a reel and then I sent that out and it was honestly like whoever offers me a job first Uh I'll take Uh so I had the spirit of a reporter but like was in the wind as far as where I would end up Um, and TV was the first job so I started in news I was um, a general assignment reporter with an emphasis on health and education but we all did everything Um, which really meant on some days chasing the scanner Right. Um, we would go to bad accidents. We would go to house fires. We would go to some really gnarly stuff. Um, we covered corruption. We covered murders. Like there got there was a point where I was showing my parents around the community, and in my head I'm going like, "That's a murder house. That's a meth house. That's a whatever." As I'm driving around town, because you associate those things right, in your head. Of like somebody died at this intersection last week, and I stood outside and covered the fact that traffic was getting snarled. Do you know what I mean? Like it just felt really crappy. Um, and And how long did you do that? Two, two years. Okay. So please don't get me wrong. Very thankful for the opportunity. You have to do a lot of crap when you first start, but I was having a really hard time. I was taking that stuff home. Um, I was being, yeah, well, we'll just leave it at that. Like it, it was, it was bad. And I was thinking about leaving the business, everything I worked for. I was thinking like, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, but because the station was so small, we all learned how to do everything. So I was shooting and writing and web publishing and the sports person needed a backup. You know, if he wanted a day off, somebody had to do it. I became his backup. And then when he left, I knew how to do his job and I became the sports director. Wow. So I was like, thank you, Jesus, for putting this. <laughs> everything I like about this industry, I get to do without the death. Yeah. So sports is amazing. There's a winner. There's a loser. Everybody goes home. Yeah. Okay. And I was from enough of a sports family that I wasn't faking anything. I played sports. I enjoy sports. And now I get to focus on that. And then the women in sports 
trend like was definitely not something I minded taking advantage of and that helped me get the next job and then that helped me get the next job and then SNY is my fourth job. So what did you study in college? Broadcasting. You did? Communications, yeah. Yeah. And so you did radio in college too? That was my favorite thing. Yes. College radio is the best. Yes. There was an indie station. I started at the 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. shift on a Friday morning. Not a soul was listening, but you know what? (laughs) DJ Bliss. That was my name. No, it wasn't. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, My show was called Where the Sidewalk Ends, and I played the hottest indie jams and underground hip-hop, stuff that I still love today, Uh right? The stuff that you discover, and it was was the best thing about college. Oh, my God. That's Uh amazing. Yeah. So did you also, were you also like a partier, and you also had other different social groups you were in, or was like college radio your thing? Oh, yeah. I, I didn't really hang out with too many of <laughs> the college radio people right. who were great people, but they 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 were very much their own like concert going group. They had their own clique. They were awesome. Hopefully, I I think I fit in a in a few different pockets. Like I, I really like to be a chameleon among among people. So I still keep in touch with some of those people. Um, I don't know that I was a partier for too long in college. Okay. <laughs> uh, were you? What, oh, mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, bad. Okay. Real bad. She's yeah. had a few embarrassing real stories. Yeah. Real bad. Um, yeah. I never drank in high school, though. Did you? Get real I, personal here. Yeah, no, yeah. so I did. And my first, fr- my freshman year, my best friend and I were like, we are the non-drinkers and everyone in our community drank. Mm-hmm. And that got old really quick because there was yeah, nothing man. else to do. We were like really from the suburbs. And so we kind of caved, we gave in, um, started smoking pot and drinking. And it was like kind of a rabbit hole for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got bad fast. And I didn't really know because I didn't really grow up in a drinking household. My parents weren't big drinkers. I didn't really understand how it worked in terms of you drink a lot, you black out. That's really bad for you. And you can't really do that continuously. I My body was like, this is just kind of what's going on. This is what you're going to do. And mm-hmm. uh, you're going to really like it and cause a lot of trouble. <laughs> trouble and that's what ended yeah. up happening. Yeah. Um, Those lessons come hard. Really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm and I'm paying the price for them. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's given you a ton of embarrassing story. I mean, a ton enough. of embarrassing stories. Great <laughs> material for the podcast. Um, yeah. A lot of stuff that people that I know nowadays they're like, you have really grown as a person. And I'm like, that's a really nice way of saying you are a big yeah. asshole. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's probably the nicest way you could phrase that compliment. You use the word chameleon. Is that because you were an army brat and you feel like you moved around a lot? So adapting to different environments was how you, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh You're totally. going to break down your psyche totally. Hey, get well, into your I, brain. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my, my family made like a, a check mark across the country. So I was born in Washington State. We went to Georgia. Then we lived in upstate New York. Um, my dad was part of the, the first Gulf War. Um, so I remember he was he was deployed. Then we went back to Georgia, then back to Washington. So different regions, but actually like an atypical army life. We never went overseas. Um, we only moved in the summers. My parents made sure we were never yanked out of school. Wow. I'm so thankful for that. That's great. Um, but then you have to consider, you know, the first year, at least in our circumstance, we, we didn't get quarters right away. We had to wait for on-base housing. So we lived you know, one school year, one place. And then, then we would move on base. So it was like, I think I, I think I went to seven or eight schools growing up. Um, Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Which is okay. So we might still be in Georgia, for example, but that's two different. That's so fourth grade was 
was off base. Fifth grade was one school, and then sixth grade is like a totally different school because you're in middle school now. Right. So I, I mean, I don't know. You know, if you want, if you want to make this podcast my diary, like, yeah, let's my do psyche, it. Yeah. I had a really hard time growing up learning that people were permanent because either they move every two years or you move every two years. So if I had a falling out with a friend, I mean, there's some comedy in this who'd be like, fine, I don't care. You're moving anyway. <laughs> right? Like, so I, I, if I developed a relationship with somebody like my best friend, Melissa Williams, I still keep in touch with, it has been forever. Um, but I do have a hard time letting people into my bubble. Like my friends, I might have, I would say I have 10 friends that I would consider like blood family, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, and and then like everybody else is kind of an acquaintance. But once you're in my bubble, it's ride or die. <laughs> so, That's awesome, though. Yeah. Um, and you equate that with the, the moving around and, and. Yeah. Going back to that. I mean, you have to learn how to how to talk to everybody. Um, so I did elementary school. Let's I'll try to make it easy. Elementary school in Georgia. So you're learning how to No, that. Excuse me. OK. Preschool and kindergarten in Georgia. Okay. So you're learning your words, you've got all your vocab, and it, it's with a southern accent. Then we moved up to upstate New York, and that's a totally different accent. Oh my <laughs> so, kind of like right? a southern yeah. accent, though, for whatever reason in upstate Longer New York. Longer vowels. Yeah. So I was the little kid who said y'all and had a tan, and it, <laughs> it was strange. And then moved back to Georgia. So it was like, what? Yeah. Uh, but it was a really cool melting pot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it's in incredibly diverse. It's really awesome to hear like in, in pockets of your neighborhood, you have different languages, you have different food, you have like everybody coming together for block parties, barbecues, all the kids played, uh, played together. I lived in a neighborhood where kids like six through 16, um, we would all get together for capture the flag. Yeah. And the older kids, the high school kids were like the ringleaders of it and they made sure everyone was included. It was actually really sweet. Um, we all had Nintendo parties. <laughs> That's a bit. Kyle, yeah. you're probably really into that, huh? Yes. Yeah. Like eight bit right. Nintendo. Do you guys want to have a Nintendo party right now? I mean, just yeah, leave. We'll, we'll I still have we'll my Nintendo. Nintendo. I still have my eight bit. It still works. I have the Duck Hunt gun. I have a Game Genie. Like, dude, come over. Podcast <laughs> is ending now. Yeah. We're just gonna get a camera yeah. and play Nintendo, Alexa. You can. But go you know do that it. I have Nintendo too. All right. Well, you're slightly. Do you still you're allowed have to play it? now. We do. Oh, but yeah, I, right? but I, it's not the original. It's the um that new box that they have that's got Sega, Nintendo. The one that you bought for Peter. Right. Uh, I bought okay. Peter for his birthday, yeah, but it's cool. got all the different, and it's still got the old games. Uh-huh. It uses the old games. Uh-huh. Mario 3 owned our our street, Williamson Loop, like for years and years. Yeah. It's the <laughs> yeah. best game ever. It still is to me, honestly. Uh-huh. I mean, I know there's been a lot more advances. And no. Yeah. Can you, I can beat it all the way it. through, and sometimes I do just for nostalgia's sake. Just because you want to. Just because I want to. Yeah. Can you do that? Uh, all, all the way through. No, no, I don't know that, no, no, that I ever beat no, Mario three. No warp whistles. Yeah, you say no. Mario is Mario. I say Mario. I say Mario. Mario. It's Mario. Not Mario. Mario what? three. I say Mario. It's Mario. Mario Kart. Yeah. yeah, all you, you Mario Kart. All you out of Long Island people want to talk. You don't say Mario Kart. So I say Mario Kart. No, you don't. That's just how, that's just that how it is. That is so wrong. That's just how it is. How do you pronounce orange? Orange. Okay. Orange. I've heard that. That's bad. That's bad. No, I don't, no. Okay. My my Long Island accent is. Are weird. you upset that you're getting schooled about how to pronounce Nintendo <laughs> names? No, from because the everyone who doesn't speak like someone from Long Island is wrong. That's just how I learned right. to grow up. We're very because arrogant, your so. small little corner of the world. Is Our what's right. fish-shaped mm-hmm. island is the only thing that matters, and everything else is inconsequential. So here's the test. Can you tell the difference between these two names, Aaron and Erin? Yeah. 
Okay, but everybody, Aaron, Aaron, I was like Aaron. Uh. Aaron. I, I just go with test. I just go with Aaron now a. A. from yeah, yeah. from Key and Peele, so that's just what I stick with. My friend Aaron actually hates Key and Peele now because Aaron is just how everyone you ruined it, huh? Yeah, ruined his name. By the way, that's their only funny skit. No, they have plenty no. of funny skits. No. And okay, Keanu, I love Keanu. Yeah, Keanu was great. <laughs> Keanu is great. No. You're, East West Bowl. No, any of that stuff. No, oh, God. you're you're that's done. That's the substitute. That's what she said. Is now over. Uh. You're off the podcast. <laughs> I can't even. Substitute teacher today was always interesting with a name like Kareth. <laughs> I can't imagine. Have you met any other Kareths in your life? Never, never met another one. No. I know they're out there thanks to Twitter. My God. Because I'll occasionally I'm going to reveal that I'm super narcissistic. I'll Google my name or Twitter my name. Yeah. But I just want to see what other Kareths are out there. And then I'll send them a message like, hey, buddy, we know what it's like. And I ended up talking to some high school girl and I kind of regretted it because she, she blocked me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Kareth creeps on high school girls. Um, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah, she blocked you? Were you just like, you what did you say? say? No, I, I, I thought I was friendly. I thought I was appropriate. I was like, hey, fellow Kareth, I just, I wonder if she followed me for a while. I could tell she was, um, she was very, very Christian. Uh-huh. Um, and occasionally my tweets are not. So I, I hope that was it. I hope I didn't personally offend her. Oh, or no, I'm sure that's what I it hope was. I was just not her style. She just has a stick up her butt. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, other Kareth. I guess I learned that there's a Kareth Ravine in the Bible, uh, which I had no idea. Um, my mom just got the name from a book, The Source. called the, uh, the, It's called The Source. It's by James Mitchner. Um, she's an avid reader. She just liked the name. They wanted something that si- sounded Irish. So uh-huh. Burke is my last name. That's my, my dad's side of the family. Uh-huh. And they were, so my na- they were going to nickname me Carrie. Carrie Burke. Totally fine. <laughs> I insisted as a toddler, my name is Kareth. Like, I was Whoa. just, like, putting my foot down with it. So um, that started years and years of being called Carrot or Keith or, like, any sort of <laughs> yeah, how do you version get, of that. I mean, I get how people would get Keith, but how do you just look and go, the R? Nope. Yeah, it out. yeah. Just, like, this gone. letter? Miscellaneous. Yeah. Um, do you yeah. have a middle name? Michelle. Michelle. Okay. Yes. That's more common. My, I think that's like a password question, though, so I regret saying that. <laughs> we can definitely edit that out. <laughs> that's so funny that you thought about it that way. I would have never thought about it that way. Uh, we ask way more intimate questions than that. Wow. That's okay. Password. Where do your sports yeah. allegiances lie? Next. Like moving all around the country like that? This is like what that? I'm saying. I don't have any, and nobody flipping believes me. Okay, my dad... My parents are from Massachusetts. They keep an eye on the Patriots. My dad likes the Bruins, but we never, I personally have never identified with any of that, which I hope, I think it makes me an interesting sports reporter because I, I root for my alma mater and that's it, Washington State, which at this point is kind of just like laundry. Like I know who the quarterback is, actually not this season. I know who the coach is, <laughs> but really that's it. It's like a blind cheering, which I, which I enjoy because sports Covering sports has stripped me of that ability, right, uh-huh. to enjoy a game. Yeah, um, I love the sport of hockey. So everyone's like, oh, who's your team? I don't have one. And they're like, you're, c- come on, you're being an asshole. You have a team. Like, you secretly have a team. Do you have athletes? Do you root for individuals? Don't... Yeah. Okay. I, I love Serena Williams. She okay. is my dream interview. Okay. Yeah. So have you sat in with on an interview with her, like at the US Open? She's no. out here in Queens. It's amazing. She's in this room. She just slaughtered everybody, of course, because she's the best. And then you get to hear the asinine questions that she deals with in every interview. And she'll walk the line a little bit. She'll kind of tolerate it. And then 
somebody just gets on her last nerve <laughs> and she will go crazy on somebody. And then that becomes the story, right? right Serena Williams, the diva, asshole. the la la la. And she it's always so interesting to me once an athlete gets slapped with a label like that diva. Because if she knows she's the best, if she has confidence, if she wants intelligent questions about the game and she doesn't get those, and then she speaks out about that, well, it's the difficult woman thing happening. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. that, that when you, when you have to trust other people who don't understand you or frankly, don't freaking look like you, you yep. know, like when you entrust these people to tell your story and they don't, um, in a way that captures who you are, I've always found that. I've always found that interesting. I oh, think and sad too. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I think she's been misrepresented. She is the best. And I hope her place in history comes out in context eventually. I think it has gotten better. Yeah. But this has been a big topic in, in baseball, would you say, as you follow this? Like there are so many Latin players and hardly anybody in the press corps speaks Spanish. So are these players having their story told appropriately? Right. You know, are they do they get the the label, oh, they're difficult or they're dumb, which is so unfair because there's a language barrier. So I know I, I, I was yeah. shocked that it took till 2016 to get a Latin speaking translator mm-hmm. in every sort in every clubhouse. That's mm-hmm. crazy to me. Yeah, a totally. Spanish speaking translator should have existed for years by yeah. now. Yeah, totally. And we're just getting that now. It's yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. But it's also difficult too because they've learned to play the PR game. Mm-hmm. So now they're what they're saying isn't even really how they feel mm-hmm. because they have to go through somebody else. Mm-hmm. So you're not really getting it firsthand always. It's it's a weird situation. Yeah, you're right. It sucks. Mm-hmm. So Do we think Bartolo Colon speaks English? Yes. He's been here for 20 years. Oh, totally. But he's yeah. just, I, I kind of love that he's like, I don't want to deal with this. And he just. But I think also a lot of it has to do with <laughs> them being scared that if they say something wrong and it gets misconstrued. Sure. Because if they yeah. do get it wrong and somebody runs with that, that's what they said. Technically, is it what they sure. ne- meant? Probably not. Yeah. But it, that's not f- up for debate. It's, you know, the words are there on paper. Yeah. It's like they get punished for trying. It's like, right. you know what? I'm going to try to speak English. Uh, okay. And then they maybe they don't place the right word. And then. Especially in New York. I mean, if you're on a back page. And then I would say it would take one example of that for me personally, mm-hmm. if I were an athlete, to shut down. Yeah. Be like, nope, not going to do it. No, thank you. Yeah. Let me tell you a story about, um, you were asked this question, like, does Bartolo speak perfect English? Yes. I feel like he has to. He's uh, 20 years so here. Some of my friends are in the Washington State Patrol. And back when Ichiro was playing for the Mariners, one of them pulled Ichiro over. Um, so Ichiro always speaks through a translator and he, you know, he, he does his best to communicate, but my steady friend said Ichiro speaks perfect English, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in that, in that setting. So to some degree, that's a, a, that shows you how smart these guys are too. Absolutely. If they can have this buffer for media, by all means use it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It also, but it, it makes it complicated because they also get frustrated that they're not you know, having their story told and we get frustrated because there is a barrier, Mm -hmm. but it also serves to protect them. So it goes, you know, both ways and that can be difficult. Have you ever had an athlete who has been difficult to work with Um, in your career? No, nobody. No, 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 honestly, nobody who has been difficult, nobody who I walked away thinking on a personal level, that guy is a dick. Um, There's been a few rare, rare, Mm -hmm locker room things that were just un- uncomfortable nothing that i would even label offensive but just like really dude that that kind of stuff yeah like so, anything specific stick out i'm gonna say am i opening the door for an example um yes you are 
yeah. And I'm trying to think if I should name the guy. I'll tell you the situation, though. It was at a, a Knicks game. Okay. Um, and I'm in the locker room. It was one of my first times at Knicks. So the point being, you know, the players hadn't seen me before. I hadn't been out to practice in a while. Um, and I go up to one of the guys who's who's changing um, and just sort of stand around and wait as everybody does scrum style. Mm-hmm. And he saw me out of the corner of his eye and like he looked at me and I felt like looked up and down actually to the point where I could feel my face flush. I was like, oh, this is kind of uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he sort of like did this little saunter step over to me a little bit. And then he he's like, you get the first question. It's like, oh, oh. Okay, so ask the first questions. Like, so do, do you see what I mean? It's nothing offensive, yeah. but it's that sort of like I'm aware of you in a way that might make you feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, like yeah. you're not doing this to anybody else. Um, talk to the guy, and then afterward, when the locker room was closed, we were all walking back to the the press area. This little like runner, like this little dude who was doing the towels and the Gatorade, comes up to me, and he's like. There's a guy, he didn't even say the name of the guy, who wants to know if he could get your number. And I told this runner, tell, <laughs> no, thank you. I'm a professional. Good. And, and there you go. Good for you. So, But the fact that you even have to go into the clubhouse, like it's a meat market, yeah. like, like someone's trying to pick you up while you're literally doing your job, you're there on your nine to five, is absurd to me. <laughs> It's a mind-blowing concept. Mm-hmm. I wonder what kind of perception people outside of the sports world have of this industry. I it's, think oh, it's, the, it's a woman's fault always. Always. Yes. Like, I'm there to find a man. Right. And this is like a big pool of successful rich people that I have access to. And that's not. Well, that's, and the sad thing is, it's the cool thing to think, oh, it's probably her. She probably did it. And mm, girls think that way, too. Mm-hmm. And I, oh, I only told that story for attention, by the way. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Because you only want to draw attention to yourself. Right. It's not to raise awareness. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I know. It's sad. And and women go through this all the time. And when you hear these stories, now, listen, it's unfortunate the one out of a million chances where you do have a, a woman who did something inappropriate because mm-hmm. that always totally fucks the game. Like, mm-hmm. what are you thinking? You just literally set us back a million years. Mm-hmm. But that is very rare and uh, it's almost not even worth bringing up. It's more so the fact that we just get dogged for just standing there. Just That's standing literally there. all we're doing. Mm-hmm. Doing our jobs. Yeah. Ask you questions. Do you have, so you had talked to me earlier about how if somebody sends me an inappropriate tweet to report it to somebody, do you do this often on social media? Like when guys send you inappropriate stuff, do you report it to, to whoever the higher power is? Um, it's usually just a, a mute or a block or a something, or I enjoy making fun of those people. And yeah. occasionally, <laughs> occasionally I will. I'm like, here's the stupid thing you said. Here's my amazing joke on top of it. Feel shame. There are occasions when I want people to feel a searing shame. Now, are you sending that just direct message back to them? Oh, or no, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll like retweet yeah. it with the, yeah, sometimes it's screen grabbable and I'll make sure it's preserved for all eternity. And there you go. Yeah. Because there's this idea, I think I hear so often, maybe you do too, ignore the trolls. Man, some days I can do that. Yeah. I, some days I really can. And yeah. it's fine and it rolls off my back. And then one of them just needles me in a way that I didn't expect. It might not even be foul language. It just might be something condescending. Or my favorite tweet is, you do know that blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yes, you ass. That kind of stuff. It's like, what? What are you, (laughs) why do you feel the need to do this? And then I'm going to mess with somebody back and I'm going to have a little fun. So at least I get something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like social media is a detriment or a tool for us? 
Oh, I think it's a tool. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it as a tool, it's only as good as its users. So, of course, there are ways in which it becomes a lowest common denominator cesspool. Right. But then there are ways where I've found a community or people who I'm, I'm so in love with their thoughts. They educate me. They talk about stuff I never would have thought of. Like, it's been very enriching as mm-hmm. well. So, ultimately, I, I really enjoy Twitter and what it's taught me and how I interact with people and, and like, its value for communication. Just for news alone, mm-hmm. um, I think it's invaluable. I've, I've had mostly a, a good experience on Twitter. Well, and you tweet a lot, and I go through your feeds often, and we'll just find really interesting articles, because that's something oh, that thanks. you tweet out often that I'm that I'm really a fan of. Mm-hmm. I think the one article that um, we had talked about a little while ago was the one where they had interviewed you about being a woman in the business, mm-hmm. and you had talked about when you go on the road and you're in um, hotel rooms, you put Band-Aids over the peepholes. I do. And, and that was part of a panel um, that Sports Illustrated did, which was in light of um, the Aaron Andrews settlement, the money that she got from the guy who stalked her in the, in the hotel. Mm-hmm. So that was the context as far as that goes. And like the question posed to us by Sports Illustrated was, do you see what happened to Aaron and do anything differently? And I, most of the reporters said, yeah, like we don't I don't ever want somebody to know what room I'm staying in uh, as far as like people outside of my circle. Like my, it's a big one for me. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Like if uh, the front desk folks need to be taught that when you hand somebody the key, yep. you don't say you're in room 502. Yeah, because then I say, no, I'm not like, may I please have another room? Yep. So uh, it, it's those sort of. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to be followed. And maybe if nothing has ever happened to me. And it hasn't, as far as I know, thankfully. Those are still safety precautions that I want to take. Right. Um, and I did sort of, I was so sad for Aaron. And it just makes you aware of like the peephole and what people may or may not be able to see. Yeah. So I just started covering it. I mean, did you do uh, that? You do that after Aaron, not before. After. Uh-huh. Yeah, after. I'm not yeah. on her level. I don't, nobody's coming after me. But for some reason, that felt better to do. Cause in a hopeless situation, you know, if someone's going to stalk you and if you're so powerless, once it happens, once that kind of video is out in the world, mm-hmm. like maybe you do the tiniest things to think you have some sort of control. Yeah. So I started covering the peoples. Yeah. The one thing that I learned from that article that I hadn't even thought about doing before was the front desk thing. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, this is kind of a bizarre concept because I'd never done this before. But there was a group of guys behind me and the woman said, you're in room 305. And I said, could you please change my room and just write it down and not say it out loud? And she looked at me like I was insane. As if, like, that's something that's literally never been requested before, which is fine if, like you said, if they have to be trained or taught. Yeah. I think they are now, actually, at some of the... the this was at a Marriott, too, uh, if you can freaking believe it. Right? Like, I think I think they're teaching that now, you know, pol- and uh, everybody's trying to do their best. They want to be as accommodating as possible. Like, right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think you're supposed to say... Like, at most, you're on the fifth floor. Right. And that I'm okay with, provided nobody else is around. But there have been times I could tell people have recognized me in an elevator, and I don't even want to hit the button of the floor that I'm going to. Whoa. I'm like, "Mm, I might just ride it for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Just get off (laughs) on another floor and walk the stairs. Because being alone in a stairwell is way safer than being in an elevator with a bunch of people. But think about it. That's what you have to weigh. Those are the kind of consequences that you have to think about. Like, which one here do I feel less of a threat? Yeah. I just don't want to be seen. I would really rather be like incognito on the road. And you know what? There's a sadness to saying that because I was mostly on the road for UConn. 
those fans are amazing. Yeah. They're so sweet. They're so nice. Like anytime they come up to me in a, a restaurant, it's like, oh, you're doing such a great job. Thank you. You know what I mean? They're so sweet. They're um, the the largest demographic I would say is is senior citizens or parents with kids. So there's a lot of like 10 year old girls who look up to the players. Um, bless their hearts. These senior citizens have the best way to give you a critique. And I, I like I call it the shit sandwich because they're like, <laughs> you're doing such a great job, but I really wish you would ask Gino about this. And then your reports would be amazing. You know, like they sandwich it right in between and they're they're delicate and they're wonderful and they know the team so well that their criticisms are like worth listening to yeah they are on a top of things you were there for how many championships four 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 straight that is four straight that is unbelievable i will never see anything like that again in my career ever like this feels like if we're talking about chapters of our life and, and moving on and being at a crossroads this feels like an exceptional chapter to end on. Well, it's kind of like you're riding off into the sunset. Yeah, yeah I got my like four that. rings. Peace well. out. <laughs> so I saw their trio of seniors when they started as freshmen. So it really felt like in, in my tiniest slice alongside the team that I got to grow with them. Oh, for well. sure. Yeah. yeah. You mm-hmm. went through college with them, essentially. Yeah. I guess what do you think? Yeah. If I think about it that way. Yeah. yeah. It was so it was so cool to see that moment in time. Did you get to know them on a personal level? A little bit. Yeah. 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 Who's cool? Nice girls. All of them. Honestly. Really? Yes. I'm not being polite. Who's, All of who's them. Who's like funny and a shit talker or someone with a standout oh. personality? Oh, uh, Mariah Jefferson. Though uh-huh. she's not a, sh- a shit talker. She's a very sweet individual. Um, but she's um, she's funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're, they're all... What I loved about covering this team is that they all had something to say about the game. Mm-hmm. Okay. they From the X's and O's to the big things going on. Uh, as far as coverage or just how they're perceived or how to make the game better. Like they all could talk about this. They could all have a, a feature in any magazine that's like pretty deep. So they were, it was cool. Did you ever play basketball with them? No. <laughs> Do you feel like you could? No. Or no, want to? No, no. Did you ever I played, want to? I played horse with a trainer once and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> not good enough. Not even close enough. No, 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 no. Do you think the worst NBA team would stack up against them? Oh, gosh. Oh, these hypotheticals. I know. Uh, no, but I do think the UConn women could beat like a, a mid-major men's team. Yeah. All right. Yeah. They're that good. They're, Yeah. Kareth calling out all mid-major men teams. Let's do it. <laughs> Some of them. I mean, they could maybe, is Wyoming a mid-major? They could take on Wyoming or a D2 school or uh-huh. a, yeah. Yeah, I think so. It would be competitive. We'll put it that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what's Gino been like to get to know? Really cool. Everybody always asks, I heard Gino's a dick. What's he like? He's not. He's, he, he knows he's good. He loves to bullshit. Um, I've actually learned that the best way to deal with Gino is to talk to him about anything other than basketball, right? If you were to, if you were to introduce yourself, don't be like, Oh coach, 11 championships. Oh, you're the greatest coach ever. He's like, just go up to him and say like, did you see what Matt Harvey did last night? And, And he will just go off. He's a huge sports fan. He has a life outside of work. A lot of coaches don't. They like eat and breathe their sport. But mm-hmm. Gino has his own thing going, and I think that helps him stay healthy in the head. What does he do? <laughs> what, like, what does he do? He's, got a, wine, he's got a wine label. He helps the, the business school at UConn. Um, he's a wine got a, label? Like a, yeah. Does he own a winery? Not a... Does he own a winery? He's got something. He has his own bottles of, of Gino Does wine. Does it have his face on it? No. <laughs> but it's, it's distinctly Gino Oriema. He has his restaurants. He... Um, 
yeah, he's got business interests. Like he's he's got a, a he's life savvy. outside. Yeah, yeah, he's got a life outside of work. Is it, there any sort of life uh, like uh, outside of oh, UConn in stores, or is it just oh, the campus? It and is that's all? just the campus, yeah. which is being built up. Yeah. If I can borrow Gino's joke, he's been there 31, 32 years. He said when he first started, it was called Store Connecticut. But now there's, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. He loves terrible jokes. Um, so, yeah, so he's he's seen that place transform, and he's helped it transform, frankly. He's been the most consistent athletic program that they've had, um, and uh, he, he makes a lot of money for it. <laughs> Have they been your favorite team to cover since you've been in New York, or is there someone else that you've been really... Oh, man. You've had a good time? They're the team that I've covered the deepest, so I feel most invested in them. Right. But I've loved covering the Rangers, all their playoff seasons. Um, it just goes maybe back, not it goes back to one. hockey. It just goes right. back to hockey. Yeah, just maybe, not, maybe this not this one. The Islanders are great. I mean, both franchises are so different. Like, just the, the air in the locker room is different as far as the character of the team. Um, but yeah, when you get to look into... Hank Lundquist eyes. <laughs> See how blue and pretty they are. Very beautiful man. <laughs> Thank you. It's just, that's even just men, a fact. Even men know. It's just yeah. a fact. It's yeah. true. He is everyone, everyone sees it when he's just there. You're just like, damn it. Yeah. You know? And he's so good. And he's he's like, he's often voted the um the media nice guy too. Like even after his shootiest game, he'll he'll come and talk to us. Yeah, yeah he, I mean, he good. talks to every, he always yeah. has a post-game clip even when he gets rocked, even oh, yeah. in the last game. He's oh, yeah. there. Talking. And that accent makes everything sound better. He's he's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> when you came to New York, were you a big baseball person? Because this is baseball. That's Ooh, what New York does. Lord, no. Out of all of the sports that my parents never really watched, that I never played, like we just never had it on in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I had only covered minor league. Well, I covered the Durham Bulls at my last job, but that wasn't regular. It was mostly college that I did. So I had enough of a knowledge that I could get hired here, uh-huh. but there was a huge learning curve. And I was terrified that viewers would know at first, yeah. you know, if I didn't get the slang right or if I didn't say, you know, I was really worried. Of course. So frankly, I was scared when I took this job. I didn't think I was good enough. I was really worried, like, how do I go from local sports where we had two minutes and 30 seconds? Now I was responsible for all of it. I cut the highlights. I wrote it. I presented it to a 30 minute show where all I do is anchor and I'm not reading my own work all the time. People write the shot sheets for you. Mm-hmm. So I, re- I have to trust that they know what's going on, that they're writing it in the best way, that I can read their language, that I understand what these abbreviations are. Man, I had a hard time. How did you yeah. make that transition? Uh, painfully at first. Uh-huh. I know some people didn't care for me. Uh, but um, Kurt Gowdy helped me, actually. He, so our, our big boss you know, would check in with me and say, you need to study up on baseball, but I also want to make sure you're enjoying New York City and you know, just watch the games, listen to the games. I've learned so much from Gary, Keith, and Ron oh just gosh, having the, the TV on in the background. Mm-hmm. So I never used to do that before I came here. I would never make an appointment to watch baseball, yeah. but now I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you appreciate it more? Yeah, 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 I definitely do. Yeah, I'm always in, intrigued by the arguments of how do we make baseball better or l- like less boring? How do we make um, younger viewers come along? Um, yeah, baseball, baseball has a lot of things that it could it could work on. But I think I mean the shortening sp- the season, I can start with that. Get rid of the unwritten rules yeah. bullshit. 
I mean, that to yeah. me isn't that big of a deal. There are unwritten rules in every sport. They just talk about them more in baseball. The unwritten rules thing, I think, has gotten blown way out of proportion. Are baseball people more obnoxious with that, though? I hear the right way. Play the right way. Like, I love bat flips. With, so. so do I. Yeah. That's what I mean. That's, and that's, what, that's like that old sure. school, like stodgy, like back in my day. You, nobody could you, can't, you couldn't make eye contact with a pitcher <laughs> but you have purists in every sport yeah. yes it's going to be more so in baseball for sure yeah but I think that one of the reasons that people get so uptight about it is because they they have to draw this line between unwritten rules and what's actually legally allowed to happen in the sport mm-hmm. why why mm-hmm. does it have to be so black and white this is mm-hmm. what happens in sports stuff happens that we can't really define and can't really figure out mm-hmm. and everyone gets upset and that's part of what makes sports great yeah I'm all for courtesy unwritten rules tend to be about courtesy but then both sides have a way to say the other was of the, course. the offender and that's like what's God. so great about it could yeah. you just imagine everyone though like out. you have the bat flips because you hit a home run right that's usually how like Ortiz and Batista do it yeah could you imagine if say Odell catches like a 90 yard pass does the whip and nene and then on the next time he's on the field just out of nowhere gets crushed by a cornerback just <laughs> right. like he's he's not even the guy who gets the ball thrown to him but a corner just comes out of nowhere and drops their shoulder straight into him puts him on his ass when he was an even a legal player and they said that's for dancing mm. you know, but honestly, like, but honestly that, that happens that happens all the time these guys pull each other's hair and yeah, scrape in, each in other the at pile, the bottom in the pile but if like you blatantly yeah, saw it and he was made it known like the reason I just laid you out when you weren't. But you don't even the think guy. the Josh Norman Odell stuff was personal and real, and that I played mean, out on the field? It, it did. It of played course. out on the field. It was a boxing match on the field. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't. I don't know that it was all like it's not in the same situation of oh, you just scored a touchdown on me. The next time we see each other, I'm just going to beat the shit out of you because like when a when a batter hits the ball and then he pimps it, like when Batista pimps it, they're going to then go, okay, you've just set yourself up or your team captain is the guy who's going to catch one right in his rib cage or something like that because it's an unwritten rule. But it's the same concept of you did something that made me look dumb. You bested me, so I'm going to get you for it. I it's think the, the bottom better, line concept that exists in sports and has I think the for better so response, many though, years. The better response is strike him out next time. Don't mm-hmm. let him take you or out hit of him the by park. A, hit him with a pitch. Yeah, but then you're still putting a guy <laughs> on base, setting yourself up to lose. Like, just be better than him. Sure, but that's the risk that's, you're willing to take if you want to drill him and have that be the the great equalizer. But that's what I like about it. That's why I think that it's not so cut and dry, and the fact that that exists as an option. The high road's no fun. No fun, no. <laughs> I love a good bat flip. I, yeah. I love the bat yeah. flip. Heck yeah. How did you feel about the punch? Oh, God. The Roof Neto Door punch. What a great punch, though. Uh, I feel like Rugnet, they were, How do you say his first name? Roof Neto Door. Rugnet. Rugnet. I yeah. mean, that's some bad blood, and it, it does kind of captivate me that if that punch happened on the street, he'd be in jail. But yeah. because it's in sports, we get to talk about it in this sports bubble. Yeah. Both of them were cocking back, just Odor got the hit first. Yeah. So eight games? Is that what he got? Yeah. Eight games. Yeah. There's some bad blood between those teams. Uh, I don't really know what else to say. I think it sucks to see a guy get punched in the workplace. But <laughs> when you put it that way, right? But uh, that's sporting. <laughs> I think that's also, that kind of stuff is what, you know, these bench-clearing brawls is something that draws younger audiences to the sport. And it is. it's sad that that's the case, yeah. kind of. But to me, I don't know, I'm I'm intrigued by it because this is what social media and having instant access to video does to people. Mm-hmm. They want the wow factor. They want the shock and awe right mm-hmm. there on their phones, mm-hmm. you know, at, available at any second. And the fact that these instances happen and that's what they're drawn to and that's yeah. what makes them excited about the sport. I mean, honestly, that if that keeps going and that's what draws in the younger viewers... I don't know. I'm for it. Yeah, I don't want everything to turn into wrestling, though. Or yeah, like, I agree. You know, like that's here's yeah. the, here's a bad thing about the bench clearing brawls, the bullpens. 
they get left out. You know, like by the time they <laughs> make it, the I game. feel yeah. so bad for these guys. They come running out by the time they've actually made it from the bullpens to usually the pitcher's mound, where it all they're just like, all right, now we we got to turn around and walk. Yeah. Why don't the bullpens have an unwritten rule in baseball where if the bench is clear, we just meet in center field and start yeah, beating the shit out of each other? I like that. Let's do that. But it's made up for the fact that the coaching staffs come out and they, you know, yeah, but get even, into it even with like each the other. bullpen coaches, like they're like they're trotting out and like they see the other bullpen, they're like, all right, I got you, and then we'll meet, and then it's like, all right. No. Okay, we got to turn around and walk back to the bullpens now. Like they barely get any fun fight time in the middle. No. And nobody. Does. This was a meaty fight. This was an actual fight with yeah. a punch thrown. None of the posturing. Do you know what I mean? Like baseball. Baseball fights are the worst. Right, because they're <laughs> so like just like pushing. Yeah, like yeah. Ooh, ooh, it's it's so many hold me back, bros. Exactly. And, and <laughs> exactly. And then finally, somebody unleashes unleashes a punch. Yeah, I was like, this like, is amazing. Whoa, whoa. I do like in hockey fights that they they fight. They, they they do fight. fight. So they, here's the question. Oh, hockey has its own sense of justice for sure. Yeah, Policing. Absolutely. Okay, but here's the question. So why are people drawn more towards baseball when they fight? Hockey, they fight all the time. Mm, I'm not certain how to answer that. Yeah. People uh, hockey, love fighting. Hockey is, its own, yeah, hockey is its own culture. It's Hockey sees fighting as a way to police itself. So there there is bad blood that carries over for years and years and years. And and. Yeah, there are like goons who fight, like they do a tale of the tape, they're circling each other, but it's like one or two fights and then you pull the guy's jersey over his head, like yeah. there's turtling, there's... The, the, goon, yeah. the goons mentality's sort of gone away it a little has. bit too. It, you don't have guys who are very bad hockey players and are just out there. Yeah. To, you put him out and you know what he's going to do. Yeah, he's going to go beat the shit out of him. Which someone. I really think is a good thing. Hockey is having a conversation among its fans and within itself about like how much do we tolerate fighting because it's bad. Yeah, it's, now, now actual yeah. hockey players are the guys, like guys who are actually good at shooting and passing. <laughs> they'll yeah. have a fight amongst themselves. There used to just yeah. be guys who couldn't skate. Like yeah. they'd be on you'd look at them on the ice and be like they look like a toddler. Yep. If they had the stick in their hand, they might be able to get a shot off, but the whole reason they were out there was to they go were, to the other guy and yeah. just fight. The polite word is an enforcer. Uh-huh. Uh but they're 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 just punchers. Yeah. And it's a sad life. Like you make it in the pros, you get to play in the NHL, you get to live your hockey dream, but, but you're, you're, probably you're not doing good it with enough. your fists. Yeah, but if you're not good enough, then yeah. if that's the way you can get on the ice. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's sad. And it's kind of badass if that's what some of the, you know, kids know you for. Like, yeah. yeah, that's the guy who like is really cool. D- the Rangers have that guy, Derek Bugard, I think. I just read a book. It's called Boy on Ice, um and it talked about that. How he, you know, he played in the junior circuit. You're talking about long bus rides 7 hours to Saskatchewan or whatever. And it was always his dream to play hockey. And if this was the way that he could get in the door and be a pro, he did it. Mm-hmm. He did what his team asked him to do. And, you know, he ended up addicted to painkillers and he died. Yeah. So it's it's really freaking sad. And you think about concussions and just the the chronic injuries these guys have to deal with. So uh, so this podcast took a turn. <laughs> we, we ride a real like crazy roller coaster. But that's okay. We do. I, I really I, I like this. This has been so awesome. Yeah, we have a good time. We uh, <laughs> we're always up and down. We were just talking <laughs> with Rick DiPietro about a lot of his injuries and, and oh, how I'd be it, fascinated to hear what he yeah, has to it's, say. Yeah, he's had a crazy life. And hockey, you know, hockey is a unique sport where he just got really really beat up. And with yeah. all of the promise that he had in his career, mm-hmm. and his biggest concern, he said, was that when his son grows up, he doesn't want his son to be told like your dad was the guy who could have made it but ended up you know being oh, a failure was like God. one of the you know how much what was his contract again 
a He's still lot. getting paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still yeah, getting yeah. paid. It's the longest contract in hockey People are just straight up mean to DP, too. Like, you're made of tissue paper and jellyfish. Yeah. He said that's getting better, though. Because once people start respecting him as a broadcaster, they're like, well, we didn't really love you as a player, but we really like you as a broadcaster. Okay, good. So we think that's kind of... A way to to turn it around. So hockey is 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 that your favorite sport of all time? Yeah, yeah. And where did that come from? No idea. Really? <laughs> I don't know. My dad, I guess he taught my sister and I how to skate, um, and we would go to some of his games. He played on a an army team, like just a casual team, but because the base was kind of close to the Canadian border or close enough. Like they would play teams from Canada that were like semi-pro or like pretty good. So, oh, wow. so he played when he was growing up, he taught my sister and I, and I had to skate. And then I've just always liked the sport. I've covered it at all. I'm calculating this every single one of my jobs. Yeah. Four jobs. I've covered hockey. Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you idolize any uh, athletes, any hockey players or athletes in general? No, not, not really. I'm kind of on this once you start to realize that they're just people with some deep, deep flaws, it becomes, <laughs> becomes really, really hard to uh, to idolize people. Like I've got my dream interviews. Like Serena is definitely one of them. Okay, um, but uh, no, I really try not to put anybody on a pedestal. I know, I know that's a boring answer, but it's really like no heroes, no pedestals, no favorites. Because then you learn. You learn like Woody Allen is a real shithead, right? Or you, you know, you just anybody that you, whose art you appreciate or sp- whose performances you appreciate, then you start to learn about who they are as a person, mm-hmm. and that that can really suck. I do a really good job of separating that. Yeah. I have a lot of people that I really idolize and are who are really shitty people, mm-hmm. and I can separate that pretty well because everyone's really complicated and everyone has some shit to them, some more than others. Yeah. But I think if you're able to appreciate what they do really well and also understand that. There are things that they've done in their past that have been really terrible. Like I'm, and people get on me for saying this, I'm a Michael Vick supporter because mm-hmm. I think that he had a terrible upbringing. I think that really contributed to a lot of, you know, what he he did. Um, I'm a dog lover and mm-hmm. that I don't think those two are mutually exclusive. I think, you know, um, you can love Michael Vick and you can also love dogs. And so I end up supporting a lot of these guys and really rooting for guys who had it really shittily when they were growing up and who have learned from that Mm -hmm. and have had it be a struggle for them to learn. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that, you know, kind of redemption story to me is always the best part about any sort of sport or any athlete. I can be on board with redemption too, provided they hit those things that you said. Have they learned? Have they taken responsibility? And can Mm -hmm. they demonstrate both? Because yeah, all of us are very complex, mistake-prone people. Um, but yeah, I'm just starting to reach a threshold where my patience for that kind of stuff is a lot thinner. Yeah. And when it comes to movies or musicians or people who are abusers or dirtbags for whatever reason, I don't want to give them my money anymore. Like I just, I, I can't, but then you're going to reach a point where I'm not going to be able to consume anything because everybody sucks. And (laughs) it's so bad to think about it that way, man. I don't know. Maybe I need to create something. I'm trying to think of trying to think of what to do that's this crossroads right i've done this one thing for so long and maybe i can do it in a different way so is there something else that you would like to do is there something out there that you that you have always wanted to do that you could possibly turn to um i wonder i'm thinking about the my favorite thing that i've ever done in my career is the gino show so i would sit down with gino oriema we would have like 30 or 40 minutes a week together it was uninterrupted So I get to be with this Hall of Fame coach. I get to listen to his basketball stories, like all of his wisdom. 
I became a better reporter from that. And it's a departure from what we're usually asked to do as reporters, where you're in a locker room post-game, there's a giant crush of reporters surrounding one person, you listen for your sound bite, you throw out your question, and that's it. Like a gangbang, they call that. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it, it is. Or a scrum in polite company. So, But you that's not the way that you build a relationship with anybody. That's not... I understand that it's part of a job and I'll do that job, but I really like these long form in-person interviews. Mm -hmm. So if I could shape that into a job, like if I could do documentaries where I sit down with, with fascinating people or something where I, I, I get to listen and not just wait for my turn to speak, like to, to throw out my question, mm -hmm. I would love to do something like that. Anyone specifically that you would like to have sitting opposite you? President Obama. Okay. Uh, Tiger Woods, Charles okay. Barkley, Serena Williams. Is that the third time I've mentioned Serena? You're, you're a really big Serena, <laughs> Serena fan. fan. And we had, we had Michelle a on, huge. and we didn't even hear that much about Serena. Oh, really? She's so huge on No, this. we talked about Nadal. We, talk about, uh, we did talk about Nadal. Anybody. I, I want to be, I guess I, I want to be like Charlie Rose. Okay. <laughs> I would love to be Charlie Rose. All right. Yeah. Anybody who strikes my fancy as an interesting person, I would if, if they would share with me their story. And I, I think you have to remember that as a reporter. You can't just ask and expect to get with nothing in return right you better tell their story correctly and you better listen and you better make it a good experience for them too mm -hmm. nobody owes you anything do you remember when the marshawn lynch stuff was happening where he's like i'm just here so i don't get my fined. favorite athlete of all time and, and everyone's like how how dare he it's it's against the rules that he he doesn't answer our questions it's is it Right. He has to appear. He doesn't have to answer a damn thing. Right. And it, it made me wonder, what do I expect as a reporter in exchange for nothing? I mm -hmm. expect you to tell me about how hard it is to play, about your struggles, about your upbringing, about your whatever. So people can consume your story and move on the next day. Mm -hmm. Man, I'm, I'm team Marshawn with this kind of stuff. Yeah. And you also have to remember that in that scrum or gangbang environment, you you're you've got people whose microphones are like two inches from your face. You're swarmed. There's a ring of people, then another ring of people, then another ring of people. You are like surrounded by this rainbow crush of <laughs> of microphones and lights and everything. And I've been on the side of that a couple times, not that big of a scrum, but it I'm comfortable in this environment. Like I, I know what reporters do, of course I do, but it I've had my back against the wall. And I'm looking at everybody, and it was uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, I want to remember that perspective that we're putting athletes in a situation where they are on. Every word is being recorded. It, it's it's intense. Like, you have to remember and have courtesy to who you're talking to because they're giving something to you mm -hmm. for free. Maybe that's the way the industry is going because if you work for the Jets or something, you could do those interviews yourself. You can give them to the fans by putting them online, and then suddenly reporters are the middleman. And, and what purpose do they serve? Right. What <sighs> what inside what inside you drives you to want to tell other people's stories? Mm -hmm. This goes back to this interview being my diary. I think it's <laughs> when you have to talk to people, you always find a common ground. And you can learn what, what drives them, which is always fascinating to me. Like, I, I'm not going to vote for Trump, but I would be interested to talk to a Trump supporter to see what is motivating them. Like, what, what is frustrating you right now? They're being lied to, a point, unfortunately. Well, I, but I, I've seen some interviews where they're like, well, Trump is a businessman. He gets how to, how to, how to run things. Or Trump is a politician who 
doesn't lie to us. He's going to give it to us straight. Even if we don't like what he's saying, he's not going to lie to us. So I'm like, ah, okay, that's where the onion needs to be peeled. Maybe you don't like Trump, but he's the figure that makes you, or he's the what's representing that you feel like you're being lied to. Yeah. So if you find a politician who can strike you as being a more honest person, would you not vote for Trump? Like, I think it's a sign of disenf- like being disenfranchised as a voter. Mm-hmm. So there are different layers here. And like Trump kind of represents all the, all these frustrations. So maybe Trump voters don't hate Muslims and they don't hate Mexicans. Some of them do. Most of them do. (laughs) I'm trying so hard to be nice here. (laughs) But maybe they're disenfranchised in this other way. So so that's I'm trying to get to this point, and I'm doing it terribly, that I would love to interview people that I don't agree with and just see if we can eventually, at the end, see eye to eye with something. So you want to convert everyone to your... Thought yeah. process. No, <laughs> shit, shit. I just realized that. No, I, I, I'm, I'm exceptionally curious to wonder what motivates people. Yeah. Where are you coming from on this? Yeah. How did your experience lend or make you arrive at this opinion? Right or wrong? And it's, there are no, I guess there are no wrong opinions. They're just some that have more dangerous <laughs> consequences. Um, yeah, it's just understanding the human condition. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. and I agree with that. And I that's really what drives I think a lot of great journalists mm-hmm. and that, you know, the desire to want to know more about the person that they're talking to. And I think what's cool about sports is you want to know this person and you know peel away the the layers of the onion like you were saying, but then they also have this subcomponent where they're just like a freak athlete. Mm-hmm. So sports is cool because you can intertwine those two. Mm-hmm. Like let's learn all about your history and then watch you go out and perform something that I've never seen anyone do ever in my life. Oh yeah. So it's a cool it's a cool uh, a little bit of a mix. Mm-hmm. Is there anything outside of sports besides interviewing that you would like to get into? Is there a yoga studio you want to open up? Do you want to become a cupcake baker? Oh, Lord. Uh, you know, I have this fantasy of walking away from everything and working at Whole Foods for a while. Whoa. <laughs> just like as a symptom of burnout and as a symptom of like needing a paycheck, just having a job and then going home and reading books. Like, uh, Why Whole Foods? Uh, it, it could be anywhere. Oh, so okay. I, Yeah, anywhere. I, that's not a, an endorsement for... Whole Foods. It's just like, uh, there's a part of me that wants to do something completely different. And I don't know what that is. So I, I'm I'm not ready to give up my career yet. I'm just telling you my fantasies occasionally, mm-hmm. which is saying like, fuck it. And just of <laughs> course. something completely different. Do you want to be, you said you wanted to have kids eventually. Is that something you want to, yeah. yeah. Do you want to be a working mom? Yeah. Why? Why is that a question that women always get? Because, you know what I mean? And I'm not upset at you yeah. asking it because this is woman to woman and that's fine. Yeah. It's like just going meta here for a second. Yeah. Why do moms get that question about whether they can work and have children when I can't think of a, a dad getting that question ever? It's not whether you can or not. It's whether you want to or not. The question from me. Oh, yeah. I want to do so everything So do you want to be do. a working mom is yeah. a different question than do you think can, can, can you be a working it? mom? Yeah. Do I want to be? Yes. Sitting here right now? Yeah. Cause that's a, mm-hmm. cause to me, that's a, that's a conundrum that people, that people have to deal with, which is, um, is this something that I really want to do? Do I want to be at work while someone else is at home taking care of my kids? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's something that I would like. Mm-hmm. Um, or do I want to be with my kids all the time, which is something that I had with my mom, which was, you know, awesome as well. But it's definitely a fine line that you walk. And, you know, especially in this business, it's tough cause you're not around the family that often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> I I would hope I would have a job where maybe I could write, maybe I get to do both, maybe I stay at home, maybe I do this. I 
you're you're asking me a question that, man, I don't know that I could answer until I'm in the the situation. Right. Of course, mm-hmm. it has to play out. Mm-hmm. When you look at the next year of your life, and you just kind of you you plot out, you know, where you are going to be and where you're moving towards, what do you see? I, I see happiness ultimately, Good. which is maybe naive if I don't have a job in place. But I don't think if so. I surround myself with the people I want to be with, yep. I think everything will fall into place. Yeah. Right. Because it's also yeah. it's ultimately about owning your own happiness rather than putting it in your mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. There are things that have happened in my life, even going back to when I was very little, where I've always felt guided in this direction. I've always felt like I should be a reporter. Like this goes back to fourth grade. In Mrs. Bryant's class, we were doing a mock election and she invited some local uh, TV people to come to our classroom. Uh And because I was the teacher's pet, I got interviewed and it was the coolest thing to go home and tell my parents, we got to watch Channel 8 because I'm going to be on TV. (laughs) So that's what it was in my mind at that point. I want to be on TV. Uh But then it, it, it grew. I had a seventh grade teacher, Mrs. Kernick, who did a public speaking class. And as a seventh grader, she taught me things that I still use today. Like what? How to, how to walk into a room and own it. If you're going to be in an auditorium and you have to walk to the center and go to a podium, you walk there with confidence. You have a very relaxed uh, body language. Keep your hands, you know, like to your side or rested on the podium. And then you don't say anything until the room shushes itself. Whoa. And it'll happen. Somebody in the crowd will see that you're up there and go, shh. And then once you have the crowd silence, then you begin. Whoa. That's cool. Yeah. I like it that. It is cool. So you don't have to be like, uh, excuse me. You don't have to like tap the mic and, right. and, and wait. Like you make the audience show you respect just by that little that little method of silence. Yeah. God damn it. Everyone listen to me. <laughs> I like that. You've already yeah. had your own podcast. Yeah. Calm down. <laughs> Yeah, but she like whipped out of us the ums and the ahs and the the little vocal ticks and and um, oops. <laughs> I, we, I know it's I know it's so funny. We do it so naturally all the time. Let's get vain and narcissistic for a second. Yes, yes, my favorite activities. What, <laughs> <laughs> what do you do the best, better than anyone else in the, in this industry? I am a supreme interviewer. When I have the time to sit and listen. I've mm-hmm. been very proud of my interviews. Great. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. We have too. We love cutting them and watching them because mm-hmm. that's what we do at SMY. Well, I don't get to cut them. I just sit in the control room. <laughs> well, you listen. Yeah, I do listen. So you're part of the listen part yeah. of that? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. Anything what do I that, do here? <laughs> anything that you have wanted to improve on, what do you still need to work on, if anything? I would like an opportunity to do more opinion-based things because that's where I see the industry going. Yeah. So I'm trying to exercise that on Twitter a little bit more, but it's really just getting in the fire and, and doing it. And I, I haven't had that opportunity. And I'm also a little fearful of it because when you have to put your opinion out there, you better stand by it. Yeah. So I need to make sure my skin is thick enough to do that. Goals. <laughs> yeah. Goals are great. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, okay, we end every podcast with an embarrassing story. What do you have for us? I mean, I could tell you something that like was kind of like sad, definitely embarrassing. Something scarring from childhood. Sure, yeah. Okay. Alexa scarred herself. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So this goes back to having the name Kareth, which is often read quickly as Keith. And when my family moved to Georgia the second time, we were I was in elementary school, middle school, 
And my mom convinced my sister and I to cut our hair short. She's like, oh, it's so hot down there. You don't want to have a ponytail all the time. So we had these little like over the ear haircuts, like these little page boy haircuts. I have a picture on my phone. It's terrible. Oh, great. We'll like, post it along I, with the podcast. I, I, I will. <laughs> I have, this is the scarring moment where I have said I will never, ever have short hair again. Um, so me being the little teacher's pet I am, there was a, an assembly and I was getting an award. The principal had no idea who the hell I was. And he announced that Keith Burke had won the attendance award or whatever. <laughs> so I had to like march up there with my little boy haircut and Keith Burke and like everybody <laughs> made fun of me. Everybody. Ah. Oh, my heart is pounding. Because <laughs> that sucks. You ever look back at childhood photos and you see what you were wearing? And you're like, how did I leave? To me, it's more how I looked. The house. Peter's like, you can't post that on the back Look at your face. I was dressed up as Pancho Villa at one point. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like as a real thing? My aunt did it. Um, like my aunt and uncle, Aunt Josie, Uncle Frankie, um, were like, for Halloween, you'll be Pancho Villa. And that just... Yeah, I had like a little. How old were you? Like five. <laughs> it's like, on the internet somewhere. Can we post that? Can we post you guys? Can we both Keith, post Keith and Pancho Villa side mom, by side? My mom has it somewhere. It's like her favorite picture. Of oh me. yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Yep. I'll show you. Kara, thank you so much for being here. This you have been cool. an awesome inspiration for me. Watching your career path and your growth at SMY has been really uh, awesome. And you've been super helpful with me, too. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And good luck in the future. I know. Thank you. We will be keeping an eye on you and definitely rooting for you because I know you're going to succeed in this business uh, even more so than you already have. So thank you so much for being thank here. You. I really appreciate it. It's not over. And I'm really glad that people like you are, are in this industry, too. I told you I admire you and there are ways in which I'm jealous of you. So um, it's only the perception. <laughs> I really hate it. You're it's all downhill. Yeah. You're outstanding. Thank you, Kareth. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Kyle. And thank you, Joey. And let's go get a snack. <laughs> 